Our first lesson will serve as the basis for our sermon today. It is a portion of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 25. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. The last few weeks, we've been talking about hard truth. Last week, we talked about how it's good when God tells us the truth, even when it hurts, because the truth is what we really need. Today, we're going to spend some time in a book called Proverbs. It's full of very wise sayings. And I, and I wanted to share with you one. It's, it's different from the one we're going to focus on in the sermon, but it, it has a lot to do with the hard things that we're learning. This is from Proverbs 27. It says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's kind of an interesting thought. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You guys know what a wound is? A wound is like if you fall down on the driveway and you get a big scrape on your knee that needs band-aids and and ointment to help it heal. That's a, a wound, right? And this is kind of a strange thing to say. Wounds from a friend? Like why would a friend hurt you. That doesn't seem like a a, a good idea. That doesn't seem like a very friendly thing to do. But today we're being told that Jesus is actually wounding us with his words. Because when he says these things to us, it's really hard for us to hear. It even hurts. But because they're from a friend, we can trust them. Jesus is the best friend we could possibly have. He gave up everything so that we could be forgiven. He came down to this world and he showed us what it means to be a friend. He gave up his best interest so that you and I could be forgiven. He went to the cross and endured our hell, our death, so that we could be forgiven and at peace with God. And that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be at peace with God. He wants us to be with him forever in heaven. And so if he needs to tell us hard things, so that we can be humbled, think less of ourselves and more of him. That's what's best for us. Today we're going to hear Jesus teach us more hard things, but remember, he is our friend, and even wounds from a friend can be trusted. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for being honest with us. We thank you for teaching us even the things that are hard for us to hear. We ask that today you would humble our hearts, that you would get rid of the pride that is found inside of each and every one of us. Help us to model our lives after your perfect humility, that we might be exalted with you forever in heaven. In your name we pray, dear Savior. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you're willing, quick show of hands from all you internet users. How many of you have ever gone down the rabbit hole of scrolling through life hacks? 
Anyone ever done that? And as an excuse to make sure I was properly prepared to preach to you today, I spent a little time doing that last week. And a couple jumped out at me. There was a picture of a person holding a clothespin in their left hand that was clenching a nail. And then the hammer was about to swing. Use a clothespin to hold your nail so you don't smash your thumb. And I thought to myself, for every person who thinks that's a good idea, I bet you there's 10 in here who thinks that's the dumbest thing they've ever heard of in their life, to hold a nail with a clothespin. Another one that jumped out at me was a dustpan. You know, a dustpan like comes on your broom. And it was in one of those ceramic sinks that like hangs on the wall, but they're real shallow. You could never get a bucket in it if you tried. Well, they had the thing wedged up underneath the faucet with the water coming out the handle spout into a bucket on the floor. I thought, now, I don't know if I'm going to use that anytime soon, but I might do that in the next six months. That's not the worst idea in the world. That might come in handy someday. And then another one that I've done, maybe you've done it too, a a pot of boiling water that had noodles in it and there was a wooden spoon across the top, right? Done that before to keep the pot of noodles from boiling over. When the bubbles come up, they pop on the spoon and it doesn't boil over. For little examples of earthly wisdom like this, there's almost always someone who will look at that idea and say that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. It's not that hard for us to hear any nugget of wisdom and to start to pass judgment on it. To start to think, well, what's so special about that? I, I got better ideas than that. Today, our proverb basically teaches us humility, good, pride, bad. And we're like, all right, that's why I came to church today. So you could teach me that humility is good and pride is bad. That's all we got today, pastor. That's, that's the big nugget to take home. It doesn't seem like all that earth shattering of a proverb. Who's going to argue with this? Who's going to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad to be humble and it's good to be proud. Even the world agrees that humility is better than pride. So what, what is going on in this proverb that's so valuable for us? Now, it's not that often that, that we preach on a proverb. And so I thought maybe we just spend a few minutes reviewing some basic truths about proverbs. I found a quote this week by a, a Lutheran doctor of theology by the name of David Schmidt. And he had a, a very helpful definition of a proverb. He writes this. A proverb in scripture is a general truth arrived at from godly observation of experience that can direct future action when considered prayerfully in the fear of the Lord. Now, there's four main things in there I want you to pay attention to. We're going to use it as an outline for our sermon today. Ready? Listen again. A proverb in Scripture is a general truth arrived at from godly observation of experience that can direct future action when considered prayerfully in the fear of the Lord. 
This is going to form a very nice little outline for us to follow today. First, we're going to talk about how Proverbs are general truths. Then we're going to ask ourselves, does our life experience validate this general truth? And then we're going to invert the last two because they're actually theologically inverted. Where does this fit into the salvation story? And then finally, how's it going to impact my life going forward? Everybody clear on where we're going? Let's go. So the proverb again is, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. So first thing, this is a general truth. And what that means is this is generally true, not absolutely true. And and that's a good thing for us to keep in mind. Proverbs are always general truths. They're never absolute. They're never always true. And a great example is actually on the very next page in my Bible. It's kind of a famous seeming contradiction in Proverbs. Maybe you've read it before. This is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will become just like him. Okay? Do not... Answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will become just like him. You know what the next proverb is? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. It says the exact opposite. The one says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, and the other one says, answer a fool according to his folly. Now, if these were absolute truths, Scripture would be contradicting itself but they're not. They're general truths. And they both have their place when they are applied. But it takes wisdom to know which one should be applied when. And just to land the plane on this so that you're not scratching your head for the rest of the sermon, just think it through. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will become just like him. So if using the foolishness of a fool to correct him makes you appear foolish, don't do it. That would be a poor time to use the fool's foolishness against him. But if refraining from using the fool's foolishness against him would make him seem wise in his own eyes, then you might want to consider using his foolishness against him. You see how that goes? If it reflects negatively on you, don't do it. But if not using foolishness is going to make this person, this fool, continue in their foolishness, consider using their foolishness against them. Well, of course, you need wisdom to apply which one is to be used in a certain context. And that's true for all Proverbs. These are general truths. Now, it can be helpful for us before we jump to the future, because that's what we often want to do. When we hear a proverb, we want to say, well, okay, how is this wisdom going to impact me in the future? We'll get there, but not yet. It's helpful to first ask ourselves, can we validate this through our own experience? So ask yourself this question. Do you think it's generally true that it would be better for status to be assigned to you by your peers or even authorities? Do you believe that's better than to take status and assign it to yourself. Has experience proven that to be true for you? 
at the high school lunchroom, is it better to just take your seat at the cool kids' table or to be invited to the cool kids' table by the cool kids? It's probably better to be invited than to assume you belong there. Is it better for the the rookie to, to come into training camp thinking he's the best at what he does? Or would it be better for him to be assigned praise by his peers, by his authorities, based on what he does on the field? I think we'd all agree that experience would, would prove this to be a, a true general truth. Agreed? We would say, yeah, it, it is better to have the king call you up than to assume you have some status that you don't have and then be humiliated in front of other high-status people. Okay, so now part three. Well, where does this fit in the salvation narrative? Both of our other readings today, both from James and from the Gospel of Luke, we saw these truths illustrated. And both Jesus and James identified a core sinful flaw in the heart of humanity. And of course, it's, it's pride. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus was at a dinner party. He had been invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. And Jesus notices that they're all climbing over each other, trying to get the best seat at the table. And Jesus just points out the foolishness of that kind of activity. Why would you try to get the best seat for yourself? Because if someone who's legitimately more important than you shows up, you're going to be humiliated by the host. He's going to tell you to move down and give the best seat to somebody else. Don't do that. It's foolish. And James does something very similar. If a rich person walks into your church and a poor homeless man walks into your church, don't show favoritism to the rich man. Don't show favoritism to the poor man. Treat them both equally as brothers in Christ and and rejoice that they are here to, to, to hear God's word. But don't elevate one over the other. That is sinful favoritism. You see, that the problem with pride is that it blinds us to itself. It's a self-blinding sin. If you have pride, you are blind to seeing it in your own life. And this is why we need Jesus to come to us and to point it out to us so that we see it. Just think about this. We, We like to attach adjectives to who we are as Christians. We want to make sure people know what kind of Lutheran Christians we are. Not just that we're Lutherans, but we want to make sure they know we're not those kind of Lutherans. We're these kind of Lutherans. We are conservative Lutheran Christians. We are confessional Lutheran Christians. We are Wisconsin Synod Lutheran Christians. Well, it's not hard once you start attaching adjectives to your name in any context for pride to step in. Because once you've categorized yourself, separated yourself from others, now you can climb on top of them. See, what Jesus and James are really getting at is there's two ways that the sinful heart will try to elevate itself. Either it will butter up somebody who is higher in status than we are, hoping that they'll extend a hand to pull us up to their level, Or we'll climb on top of those we believe are beneath us. 
But one way or the other, we like to exalt ourselves. We like to elevate our own status. You know what the world says, if, if, you, don't, if you don't build up your own name, who's gonna do it for you? you? You gotta talk yourself up. You gotta work your way up. If you don't do it, who's gonna do it for you? Sometimes the, the best thing we could do when trying to come to grips with what we're really like is to just compare ourselves to Jesus. In Jesus, we see the most high God, the exalted one, king of kings and lord of lords, who humbled himself and was born in a barn. We talked about this last week, right? That the first became last. Think about why. Why did Jesus, the exalted one, humble himself and be born a, a humble human being? Why was he willing to endure our hell, our death on a cross? Why was he willing to endure all of that? Well, it was so that you would be exalted. It was so that you would hear the king of heaven and earth say to you, come up here. That's why Jesus did what he did. Jesus went to the cross. He endured our hell. He endured our death so that humble, lowly sinners fools like you and me could hear these beautiful words, you come up here by me. It is better for the king to say to you, come up here, than for you to be humiliated in the presence of his nobles. And because of Jesus, that's exactly what God says to you and to me. He says, come up here into my kingdom. Come up here into my presence. Come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Those are Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 25. What beautiful words. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. It's because of Christ's work that we get to hear those beautiful words from the King. And so the last question we want to answer this morning is, how is this going to impact us going forward? Well, it has everything to do with status and how you view the status you're in right now. As I look around this room, I know for a fact that many of you have a status right now that you did not have five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe 50 years ago. You have different roles today than you had in the past. Some of you are parents, but your days of parenting little ones are over. Some of you are employees very early in your working life. Some of you are in positions of authority, overseeing employees, sometimes many employees. Some of you once were employees, but now you're retired. Some of you once were married, but now you're widows or widowers. Some of you are little children. We all have a status right now. We all have roles right now. This proverb means you can be content with your roles, your status right now. 
you don't have to spend your time trying to find an elevated status. You don't have to, 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 to work and struggle to elevate yourself, to talk yourself up. God has already done that. He's the one saying to you, come up here. He's the one elevating you to his dinner table. And yes, it's true that there will be some seats at God's table that'll be reserved for people with higher honor than you or I will have. Some of us might receive more honor than others. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because we're all going to be in that kingdom. Because God has said to every single one of us, come up here. We can let him give honor to those he wants to honor. We can let him give the best seats to those to whom he wants to give the best seats. That's okay. We get to be content with where we're at in life right now, today. Just think about the blessings that God has given to you where you are right now, the opportunities to serve him and serve your neighbors that are unique to you where you're at. If you used to have little kids, you had less time to serve God and people outside your own home. But if you've now been more advanced in age, where you're not caring for little ones anymore, perhaps you have a unique amount of time available to you. Those of you who are early in your employment, you have an opportunity to be a different kind of employee, different from those around you who are struggling to to bring attention to themselves, you can just serve and be content with where you are. Those of you who are in positions of authority, you, you can do that differently than others in positions of authority. Rather than making it all about you, you can serve those under your authority. You can be a leader like Jesus, serving those under you. Those of you who were once married but are now widows or widowers, think of the time that God has now blessed you with. Time that was once spent serving your spouse. Now you have time to serve God and others in new ways. The point, you can rejoice in your status now. You can rejoice in the work that God has given to you now. You don't have to look back and long for for roles, status you had in the past. You don't have to look ahead to a status you might or might not have in the future. You, You just get to serve God now. And so be content. Be content with who you are and where God has placed you today. Because of Christ, because of his innocent sacrifice for you, you have already heard your God say to you, come up here into my kingdom. How much more exalted could you be? Amen.